0: It's okay if the plates are passing. Well, welcome back to our last of our series, our series through February, where we've been exploring the reality of mental illness and the truth of God's faithfulness. And I think that this has sparked significant conversation in us as a community. I've been hearing you talking with each other about it. I know the kind of conversations... Thanks, girls. Yeah, you can just put it right there. not oh, Sure. Sparking conversations among you as you've, as some of you have gotten the courage, maybe for the first time, to like share with others what it is that's been going on in your life. And I know you've found listening ears. And I know that we've grown in our ability to hear our story, become a more compassionate community. I'm very thankful for all the ways this has been happening. Thankful for those who have stepped up for prayer ministry. Uh, Thankful to, to Dana last week for taking what I think was the most difficult one of the series, frankly. Um, and I just love throwing it to her instead of me. But I, I'm very thankful for the way that this series has helped us as a community become, I think, more the church that God wants us to be. We've been using Psalm 23 as kind of a journey song, and I want to invite you to stand as we read it together one more time. It'll be on the screen. So stand up. Let's read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. If you've missed any of these, this series, um, it's all available online. And so I want to encourage you, if you've just come into the series today, or maybe you've only gotten one or two, to hear the whole series. Just four messages, and perhaps you're even listening online today, and you know that this has been very helpful, helpful for you. Today, in these last few verses, we go home. After wandering through green pastures and through dark valleys, these last two verses of Psalm 23, they shift from following the shepherd in the wilderness to going home after dark. Our good shepherd becomes our good host. It's a powerful shift. And I want you to hear the truth of God's word today in a series of three, two, one, kind of like a countdown of three compelling promises followed by two pursuing truths, and then finishing with one powerful hope. These three make a powerful connection, a combination. And I, I hope and pray that whatever struggle you may be experiencing, some of the things we've highlighted, some of the things maybe that you haven't even talked about yet, I hope the truth of this three-two-one combination will help you walk with God in whatever darkness or struggle that you may be facing. My hope today, even though we're covered quite a bit of material in these two verses, quite a few different things I'm going to draw out, my hope is that they'll all be memorable enough that when you, in a place of struggle, return to Psalm 23, these truths will just jump off the page to you. Let's dig into it. First, let's look at these three compelling promises that we receive. The first thing we receive is this promise of a table prepared. You prepare a table before me in the presence of, of my enemies. You know, after walking through the darkest valley, the Psalm 23 scenery changes. Suddenly, it's like we're at home and we're sitting at a beautifully laden table welcomed by the most gracious host. We're invited to sit and enjoy, to eat and to drink and to fear no evil thing. The promise does not say that our enemies are all gone. Rather, we're promised provision and protection Right in the very context of our enemies. It's like you've come inside to a little bubble of protection. That no matter what has chased you here, it can't now get across the threshold. You're home safe. That whatever's out there can't get you in here. Now Psalm 23 doesn't identify who the enemies are. It doesn't tell us. And readers, faithful readers of this psalm, down through the centuries, have been invited, as it were, to fill in the blank. So I want us to do that here, right at the start. Whether you've been traveling through the series for a while, or this is your first one, I want to ask you, you don't need to say this out loud, but in your mind, I want you to fill in the blank. What enemies are pursuing you? What have you been running from? Is there a physical enemy? Someone in your life, or some group in your life that you're afraid of? Fill in the blank. Is there a sickness that you've been struggling with? Fill in the blank. Or is it a relational difficulty? Maybe a marriage struggle. Maybe a struggle with a a kid in your life or a sibling or an old friend. Maybe problems at work. Fill in the blank. Or as we've been asking these last few weeks, is your enemy a particular anxiety disorder? Is it postpartum depression? Is it PTSD or some other form of, of mental illness? What is it? Fill in the blank. Here at God's table, we're not told to deny the presence or the reality of the enemy. But we are invited to eat and drink, to rest and to be as though, at least for a moment, they're not even out there. We're able to laugh, we're able to enjoy, because we're untouchable at the table of this host. You see, the background, the cultural background to this image is rooted in the nomadic Bedouin tradition of shepherding hospitality. One biblical scholar put it this way. He said, once a traveler was received into the shepherd's tent, and especially once his host had spread the food out before him, he is guaranteed immunity from the enemies that may be attempting to overtake him in pastoral, or they mean shepherding, circles, no human protection is greater than that afforded by the hospitality of a Bedouin chief. You may have come to God, coming to God's house, as it were, chased by the terrors of the night. You may feel like you were only steps ahead of an enemy that has been hunting you down, that you may have only barely made it to the door of the tent. But here at the table... You're safe. Secondly, we receive the compelling promise of our heads anointed. You anoint my head with oil. And in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, anointing with oil is a sign of God's empowering presence. It's a sign that you've been marked special by God and in particular that you've been given a specific assignment by God. Something he wants you to do. Kings were anointed. Prophets were anointed. Priests were anointed. And then in the New Testament, the anointed oil becomes a symbol of God's presence to all. Particularly his presence to heal and to restore. And now it's open all because the spirit has been given to all. Not just restricted to a few special people. Can I just give a few moments of sidebar here? I think it's important because for some of us, the whole idea of being anointed with oil is kind of, well odd strange right for some some of us are like oh yeah it's old hat but probably more of us this is weird and so let me just take it apart a little bit what does getting anointed with oil or what does that anointing of oil do for us the first thing is that oil reinforces our identity being anointed with oil reminds us of who we are especially when difficult times are happening, especially when we're struggling maybe with mental illness or emotional struggles. It's 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 difficult always to remember who we are, or it's easy to forget who we are. We can start to think that we are our mental illness. We can begin to identify with our anxiety disorder or our depression. But the truth is that is not who we are. Listen to me really clearly. You are not your depression. You are not your mental illness. You are not your anxiety. Your name is not some particular disorder. Your name is not Tourette's or PTSD. You're an anointed child of God. That's who you are. A priest of the kingdom. A, a prince or a princess under God. And we can just soak that up like oil soaks into our skin. Oil also invokes our vocation. Because, you see, oil still speaks of special assignments. And as God's children, we're also his royal priests. It says that in the New Testament. And we've been commissioned by God to make his love known in the world through the way that we serve, through the words that we speak. We bring glory to God by bringing his healing to the world, by speaking his truth and grace, by witnessing to Jesus. invokes our vocation. And oil also brings us healing. i got to be honest. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but I'm going to make a connection. Isn't it interesting that it's our heads that are anointed with oil? Especially as we've been reflecting on the reality of mental illness and struggle. I find that interesting because our head represents our mind. We're called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And and we can receive this anointing with oil on the head as a sign of the Spirit's presence over our mind guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a a powerful way of declaring God's truth. Do you struggle with anxiety? Have you wrestled with depression, a mental illness of some kind? You can receive oil as a sign of healing over your mind. And today, when we come to receive communion, you'll also have an opportunity today to receive an anointing with oil. And it might be new to you, but I want to encourage every one of you to partake in it and to receive it as a sign of your identity, as a sign of your vocation, and as a sign of your healing. Okay, so first compelling promise, table prepared in the presence of our enemies. Second compelling promise, our heads are anointed with oil. The third compelling promise that we receive is the promise of our cup overflowing. I love this image, because when we think of illness, we think of mental illness, we think of struggle, we think of anxiety, we think of relational difficulties, we think of anything really at all that causes us distress, let's be honest, we can feel so empty. Like a dry cup. We can feel like we lack so much, as we've acknowledged in this series. And the image of a cup overflowing speaks to me of abundance in a place where there was scarcity. You know, we started this psalm with that confident statement. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And now we come to this image of my cup overflowing. They're both images of abundance. We've also seen other images of abundance all throughout. The picture of green pastures, the picture of quiet waters. And all of these things speak of the provision, the overflowing provision from the God who loves us. Jesus wants to pour abundance into our empty cups. And so maybe for you even, at those times when you feel lack, When you feel dry, when you feel empty, you can literally hold up a cup and say, Jesus, fill this baby. Let it flow over. I need your abundance to fill the places that I lack. These three compelling promises, I think they're a stunning image of communion, which we're celebrating today. The table, the oil, the cup and we're going to be coming back to them when we come forward including that opportunity to be anointed with oil but for now let's keep going because these two these three compelling promises they really come to life when they're followed up by the two pursuing truths and i love this next phrase surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life here's the two pursuing truths god is good and you are loved god is good And you were loved. I want you to imagine it. A man has found protection in the hospitality of this shepherd's tent. But he's got to leave sometime. (laughs) He can't just live there. He's got to leave. And what's going to happen then? And this is what I love about this. This is where this image shifts. It shifts from being chased by enemies to now being followed by the goodness and love of God. And I think this is critical for us to understand. This drives everything home for us. Because once we come under the protection of God, we don't just walk back out into the dark to then be ravaged by the enemies who've been waiting for us to leave. in them waiting to pounce on us. Rather, it's like we've been given a rear guard set by God, this ongoing protection from enemies that follows us wherever we go. Now, I want to introduce an image. There's another one. Uh, uh, I want to introduce the image of dogs, which I am willing, well, not willing to bet. But I don't think anyone's actually introduced this theme, the image of dogs into Psalm 23. At least not the way I'm going to. So hey, maybe that's bad, but let's go for it. I want you to think of these two pursuing truths as two faithful guard dogs. A big Rottweiler, or an Akbash. Dogs that have been bred for one purpose, to protect the ones that they love. And how does this rear guard of protection work, practically speaking? You see, the greatest threat we face out in the dark is forgetting who God is and forgetting who we are. That's the greatest danger we face. Forgetting that God is good and forgetting that we are loved. And these two guard dogs, it's like they come in behind us and they're eager and ready to attack any lie that would seek to destroy us. Any word that would seek to suggest that God really isn't good and that you, in fact, are not loved at all. And they're there, the goodness and love of God, ready to attack. And now when you find yourself in a dark place, you can remember who's traveling right behind you. You can call out their names. One is called goodness, and the other one is called love. There's some great names for guard dogs. And you know, you get an extra bonus here in the second service, because in the first service, I didn't know a little fact I'm going to tell you right now. Joan Halverson is training, currently training a therapy dog. And maybe you've seen the dog around. Soon the dog will be joining us at worship. And this dog is being trained as a therapy dog for people who have had post-traumatic stress disorder. And do you know what she told me at the coffee time? She told me that those dogs, specifically for vets who have struggled with PTSD, the dog behind them makes the vet feel safe feel that their back is covered. These dogs are even trained when they're behind the master to put their foot out on top of the foot of their owner to reassure them that they're there behind them. That they're protected from behind. Isn't that a beautiful image? That's why you come to the second service. You get the extra extra stuff. (laughs) So, is there an enemy? Of depression. And is that the the depression that you hear crashing through the bush behind you? You know, is there anxiety that's waiting to pounce when you go around the next corner? Well, here it's the truth. There might be. But, when you look closer in, you realize that you are protected. Because look there. There's the goodness of God and He's ready to kill that thing. And coming in from the side is the love of God. That's the white one. This is the love of God. And He's going to take that sucker down. And you can just begin to imagine that. To think, hey, wait a minute here. Even though I may be struggling, nothing can ultimately touch me because God is good and I am loved. God is good and I am loved. And with this truth, It provides protection. It's like it insulates us from the devastating effects of any darkness, of any illness, of any mental disorder. God is good and God loves you. And I pray for you, specifically those of you who might really struggle in the dark, who might really struggle with a particular disorder or depression or mental illness, that at those times of darkness, you remember that you have faithful protection maybe you could even imagine for yourself that you've got these two beautiful dogs committed to protecting you. God is good. And you are loved. And that you will know that you are being protected by the love of God. We'll come to the last line of the psalm. So far, everything we've seen kind of applies to our lives today, our daily struggle. But we finish with this powerful hope, this defining vision of the future. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's an incredible hope that after the dark days, that after everything's been said and done, we will be with God in the presence of our Good Shepherd in His house forever. This isn't about sitting around in church somewhere, going to a temple somewhere. It's certainly not about floating around on a cloud with a harp. You know what I feel about that. If you went through our Revelation series, you'd know. This is a God-clad guarantee of our ultimate destiny that we will finally and completely be with Him. This is the same vision that we hear in Revelation where at the end of the story, the heavenly city descends to earth and we hear these words, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, or could we add no more mental disorder? No more depression? No more suicidal thoughts? No more cutting? No more self-harm? Can we add all those things? Yes, we can. Why? Because, to complete the verse, the old order of things has passed away, and in the next verse, God says, I am making everything new. Dwelling in the house of the Lord forever means that everything has been made new by God. That the war is finally over. That hurts have been healed. That what has been disordered in our minds and in our lives have now been reordered. That our hearts and our souls are finally able to experience the true and lasting peace that only comes from God and only can be experienced in a world where God has made everything right. What an incredible hope. And here's the point in the story that we're part of, the story of God and and creation, the story of humanity and our, our sin and our struggle, the story of Jesus and the fact that He came and became one of us to live the life we couldn't live and that He died and rose again for us. The story of the whole universe comes down to this. Darkness never gets the final word. Never, ever, ever. Darkness cannot win. God, the one who loves us, the one whose goodness and love pursues us all the days of our life, that God is the one who determines our destiny. Not the darkness we experience, not our illness, not our disorder, not our sin or our struggle. God, the loving shepherd, the protecting host, He is the one who determines our destiny. This good shepherd who led us from, you know, quiet, pastures and green pastures and quiet waters he guides us through these darkest valleys and he brings us home to be with him forever and how can we be sure of that i mean how do we know it's really true how do we know it's not just sort of airy ideas about things we want and hope we believe well we know it's true because the one who's guiding us home jesus christ himself has already traveled that way he's already gone through that road. Jesus went through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death and he did it for our sakes he died, he rose again and he paved the way for us to be with him forever and because of that, because he rose again from the dead, because it's been established historically that he did so we can be confident, not glib or naive, but but confident that what we experience today that the struggle we may endure is not all there is with God's goodness and his love guarding our backs, we will follow him through the dark all the way home. The reality is, though, when it's dark, sometimes all we have is that vision of hope that he's given to us. All we have is this home picture to keep us going, knowing that we can trust Jesus to lead us through, that we have him as our guide, that we need him, and perhaps we find that he is all we need. In one of the darkest eras of North American history, one of, not the only, but one of, our enslaved brothers and sisters sang of their hope from a place of deep sorrow and a place of wicked bondage. Last week, Tanil and I watched the horrifying movie, 12 Years a Slave. Horrifying true story. About Solomon Northrop, living as a freeman up north, who was then kidnapped, and in slavery for twelve years before achieving freedom, and we witnessed again to the horrific, blood-stained history of slavery in America. It is well worth watching that movie, though. Let me tell you, viewer discretion is strongly advised. But it's from the depth of this darkness that we also received many songs of hope. Spirituals were what they were, you know, eventually called. They were cries from the souls of those in slavery, these men, these women, these children, who had no hope of freedom in this life, but would sing of their hope in Jesus, would cry out to him to hear them in their plight, Would, would call out to the God who they knew could hear them and had promised to lead them out of darkness and into the light of day. February is Black History Month. And here, on the last Sunday of February, I wanted to make a connection here. I wanted to close our series by singing one of these famous spirituals that our black brothers and sisters sang. And yes, as we sing, I want us to remember their history. I want us to celebrate their freedom. I also want us to remember the ongoing challenge that is still very real of racial reconciliation that we still struggle for today. We're going to join this chorus with all those who have suffered and do suffer And today we're also, the connection we're making here, that today we're also going to sing it with all those who continue to suffer from mental illness, from disorder, from darkness, trauma, despair, depression, whatever it may be. We're going to sing into the darkness, singing with our brothers and sisters, knowing that we are not alone, that God has not forgotten us, that darkness cannot win. We're going to sing knowing that God is good and we are loved. And this song is going to function as our invitation to communion today. We're going to sing it. I'm going to probably sing some of it for you actually and invite you to join particularly the chorus. Not a lot of lyrics in most spirituals because these are people singing without lyrics, probably without literacy, many of them singing to one another. And these beautiful songs drive deep in the reality and the truth of, of God's presence. We're going to sing it together. And then I'll 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 stop. Carl will play. Actually, Carl, you could come and start playing. Um, Carl will play a bit while I serve those who are serving communion and those who are going to be anointing, offering anointing with oil today.